Welcome to Business Book Talk, the best place to discover great business books. Bob Garlick has talked to over 400 authors, and his questions and comments always get you the best information about the book, the author, and the ideas behind each book. So let's see who Bob's talking to this week. Hey everybody, it's Bob here, and I've got Adele Sweetwood with me today. The Analytical Marketer, How to Transform Your Marketing Organization. And that is quite a statement. So before we dig too deep into this, I wanted to talk a little bit about you because you have quite the remarkable organization that you work in. So can you tell us a little bit about SAS? Hi, Bob. It's great to be here. Absolutely. SAS is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> So, you know, I've been at SAS for such a long time that sometimes I have to stop and think about what's, what are the things that people might not know about SAS or how would you describe us as a, as a privately held software company and one of the largest in the world. The best way I can always describe SAS is that we're working with companies and people in those companies to solve their big problems when it comes to data and analytics and mostly around anything to do with the customer, from servicing the customer better to um, preventing fraud for the customer uh, to understanding uh, their, their behavioral patterns and, and making sure that they get what they need from the companies. So a lot about data, a lot about analytics, and one of the best companies in the world to work for. Do you think that SaaS is really, really good at helping people get their head around the concept of analytics? Because everybody, you know, it's big data and yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, it's so confusing for so many people. And people that really, in an organization, don't – I mean, there's a big paradigm shift that's happened. It's like, oh, data is important. Yes, that's in the data department. But today, data is so critical that everybody in the organization really kind of has to have their head wrapped around it. Do you find that uh, is more so today than, let's say, five or six years ago? Uh, absolutely. not. And when you say everybody, you mean literally everybody. Everybody the, from the truck yeah, driver everybody. all the way up to the exactly. CEO. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the, the transformational components of our efforts was really getting people, marketers in this case, to understand not only the value of data, which people kind of, oh, okay, I understand why it's important, but also to have a level of accountability to data. And what I mean by that is as employees of a company, we are accountable for the quality and the, and the creation of that data as much as we are as consuming the information and the data to make decisions. Uh, uh, you know, especially in certain customer facing aspects of an organization, you know, I, I always find it interesting when you go into the retail world and, um, you know, people ask for your, are you a loyal member? Do you have a card or do you get, you know, whatever you, they have you join. And if you don't have one, some random cashier will just put something in. That's an accountability problem to the data, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking and knowing that, but I'm sure the average person doesn't think that way. I don't know if it's that extreme, but for us, it's really... Um, you have to be responsible. If the data isn't any good, your analysis and your decisions and your direction won't be any good. And that's where you have to start. Exactly. Well, it goes back to the classic garbage in, garbage out. Yep. But that was an IT conversation before, right? Now it's everybody's conversation. Well, you know, let's dig down a bit because that's really, really interesting. Do you think that organizations don't put enough 
emphasis or realize how critical the gathering of data is for their organization. They say, ah, well, you know, we'll get to it or oh, we can't afford to do that. Or, um, you know, the cashiers, they just don't have time for doing stuff like that. Is that a major problem? You know, I, I think every industry is a little different. I think um, there's some industries that are exceptionally strong at data accountability and data collection and data governance. And others are, are don't don't necessarily see it as valuable as they should. So, so I do think it's industry dependent. Uh, but I don't believe. But I think everyone now is seeing the the challenges associated with it. What I think I hear more from uh, our customers is there's so much data, and it's coming from so many places. I don't know what to do with. It. I don't know how to manage it. I don't know how to use it. I don't know what's most important. Um, I'm afraid to let anything go, you know. So I, I do think a lot of it is is really having another level of data prioritization and understanding, uh, in in mixed in with the data collection processes that allow you to to better pick out the data that's most relevant and most important, and be willing to let some things go. You know, the, it's it's interesting. The problems of a a hundred year old company, their data problems are very different than a startup. You know, the startup is is trying to figure out all the places where I can collect data and gather information, and their data is going to be pretty good and pretty clean if they set it up right from the beginning and, and make it a priority, where you've got the 100-year-old company that has years and years and years worth of data, all kinds of formats. You don't, you know, you know what variables are the same or different? What's the metadata behind it? All of those components, in my opinion, a lot of it, you have to decide, you know what, I'm not going to pay attention to this part. I'm going to start over here and act like a startup. It goes to, to the thing like years ago when, when social media started getting going, there was a term that started to pop up called curation, curation of your social media platforms and, and, and the data and well not that, the information on the stories that you're putting out there. And there was people that were collecting it and people were going to those people and saying, hey, wow, these are great stories. Do you think the role of a curator of um, data is becoming way more critical and uh, being recognized as, as a pivotal uh, position in larger organizations? Absolutely. I don't know if that's what they're calling it, but that's a great, great thing to Sounds call it. Sounds cooler. Right? It does, yeah. It's like, hey, I'm the curator, <laughs> man. The data governance kind of components come to mind to me, but it's the same concept. And I know for us as a company, having uh, data curation, data governance, data strategy, um, data design and then the storage of that data in one location in one place becomes a critical aspect to driving the rest of the business. Um, and it, it, it's, you know, that's the whole marketing IT partnership. And we rely heavily on our, our, you know, central view of data coming from IT, both the way we contribute to the data and the way we consume that data. Uh, so that as a company, even if we're separate divisions or departments, the information and what your customers might be doing in one part of the company is is consistently available to the other part of the company, and you're not making decisions separately, right, in silos. Uh, so, so having that data curation strategy at a central point becomes absolutely critical. Well, also too, you know, with vast amounts of data and and, and the ability. With modern computers and the, the processing time you can actually uh, processing power you can have on your actual desktop, um, there's so much data available that it's kind of overwhelming. 
do you think there's a, a real need for the humanization of data? And, and when I say humanization, I mean data that people can get at a glance without having to study it for days or hours or even minutes at a time so that they can be more agile in their decision making? I, I think with your question, you're starting to go into the analytical side of it. I think when you apply analytics to the data is when you begin the humanization process. And, and what I mean by that, and, and I also agree with you in the context of, and that's not, that's not submitting a request for a report against the data. That's about, as, as a marketer, again, in, in my situation, having access to that data, to that information, to that analysis, to that, those reports, to those queries on my desktop every day so that I can continue to hone my strategies. And, and that, that is definitely part of the transformation process we went through and a, a critical change for organizations like marketing organizations to, to think differently about how they're interacting with, with the way they design and, and you know, interacting with technology, interacting with analytics, uh, being able to visualize information I think brings a level of humanization to it that, that says, okay, I can relate to this and I can make an impact on it um, or, you know, make a change because of it. Well, do you think that humanization is probably one of the most critical components so more and more people can get it? Because at the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about everybody has to understand how important this is from the truck driver all the way up to the CEO. But unless that information is... is uh, presented in a way that people can consume it and, and not think that, oh my gosh, i got to get a Harvard degree to figure this out. <laughs> um, that's a huge paradigm shift, and, and I think it's been happening slowly, but it, it's getting more and more critical in an organization to have that type of um, interaction with their data. You know, I think it's a balance, Bob, that there's a – you have to, as an organization, as a leader, set a balance between the expectations you have – on the 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 people, um, and and the uh, give them the tools and the technology and those components necessary to enable that set of expectations. And, and what I mean is, I do think yes, the workforce is changing, the talent expectations are changing. Um, you you have to have a different level of knowledge and comfort, whether whether you're you know to your point, the truck driver or the, the editor or the marketer or the salesperson or the R&D person, whoever you are, um, you have a certain skill set, but there has to be a set of expectations that say you're going to reach this particular knowledge based on the fact that I'm going to give you these tools, this training, this adoption, this support, and you have to meet me in the middle, right, and change the way you uh, interact with the systems along with uh, me being able to to empower you. Uh, so I do think there's a, a balance. Now, let's dip into the book a little bit. Um, you know, it, it's, I love the way it's written. It's so human. And there's great stories. And it really feels like I'm sitting down with you and you're saying, hey, Bob, this is how it is. Check it out. The story behind the story, essentially that as a marketing organization for the past several years, five, six, seven years, we've been undergoing change, just like the whole industry of marketing. The, the, the field of marketing has been changing, right? The customers have been changing the channels, et cetera. As a marketing organization, our process for change 
has, has been a constant evolution. There were big changes each year. Significant parts of it included the data pieces, the analytics, analytics pieces, the people pieces, uh, the, the structure and redesign components. And as we were going through that process, it was difficult to find that kind of information um, at a detailed level. There weren't that many books written about the how-to or the, the stories. Um, and it, it really became one of those things along the way that we started to you know, talk about. And I was uh, having some conversations with uh, um, another author friend, Tom Davenport, and he's the one that first said, you know, you guys should write this stuff down. You're doing some really cool things. You should you know, start documenting it and sharing it further. Maybe you'll get people moving about it. And that's really what started the process. And when I started writing or working with, with Harvard on the, the outlines, it was really important to me that within the book, it was really written from a practitioner perspective. And practitioners that included leadership like myself, as well as individual contributors, analysts. So I, it was really critical that there were all these voices in the book telling the stories so that as a, a set of readers, whether you're the CMO or the VP or the manager or the content marketer or whoever you might be, you could find your voice in that book um, and it would be very relatable. So that was our intent and and I think it was almost written. We wrote it for ourselves, right? <laughs> um, you know, and and I think that's what I'm hearing most about it is that that it's it's very relatable, and and people appreciate that. There's probably a thousand more things you could talk about in the book, um, as always. Uh, but I'm hoping you know whenever I talk to other marketing teams, I'm like, okay, now you share with me. <laughs> what are you guys doing? You know, because I think there's more stories to be told. Okay, if, if you're if you're an organization and, and you say, you know what, I get this, this sounds amazing, what what should they be thinking about first? I mean, it does make a lot of sense to just jump right into it. You talked a little bit of the, uh, uh, about uh, the data that people already have, but how can people start this process of, of evolving an organization? Because that's a huge task. I do think you have to start with knowing where you are. Uh, I don't believe... I, you know, most organizations, most marketing organizations have already been impacted by, by data, by analytics, by channels, by customer experience, expectations changing. That, that's not going to be, there's very few that aren't feeling that pretty far along. So the question becomes, where do you stand? What, you know, what is your, what is, you know, what's your own temperature check, if you will, on, you know, on the data pieces? What does your structure look like today? What's the talent you have in place today? Uh, where are you on your scale from an analytical perspective? Uh, that level of an assessment, and then when you, and it was the same for us. Then you go, okay, you you see this why this gap? You see this problem that you knew was there, but now you've got information to prove it even more. Um, and for us, that gap was a lot about managing the the volume of channels. You know, we were very guilty of. Um, you know, adding a new channel and along with it a new department and along with it a new strategy and along with it a new campaign. And all of a sudden you've got all these channels and all this information going out to your clients in a very siloed channel centric view versus in a very chan uh, customer perspective view, right? Behavior based, personalized, et cetera. So we knew, okay, we have to shift from 
from channel-based marketing to customer-based marketing, behavioral-based marketing. So what's the process we have to go through to do that? And that's when you start to get deeper in your in your prioritization of, of what you transform in what order. Uh, but I do think it does start with that evaluation. It also starts with, you know, for the book is written uh, where we looked at culture um, and mindset first, uh, aligned to, again, where do we want to go? Uh, then we looked at structure components and talent components almost in concert with each other. Um, and then along the same path, making sure you have a leadership strategy. So you're not going to change, you know, just by adding a channel or hiring somebody that does X or Y, you're not going to change things. You have to change an entire culture and you have to figure out if I've got 50 marketers or 500 marketers, where do I expect them to be from the way they, their talent and their, and their skill set, but also the way they think and the way they approach marketing. Um, so I don't, I find less and less distinction between art and science, and I just think they're all blended now. Uh, if you're the creative, you know, the graphic designer, if you're the, the PR person, if you're the you know, segmentation analyst, you all care about data. You're all using some level of, of test and measure. You're all trying to determine what the best strategies are, and you have to interact with one another in order to be successful. You know, in the book, you talk about converging channels, and you kind of touched on it a little bit there. Also, with the converging of channels, it's more about the way you look at the data. Uh, I think a lot of people, um, there. if you look back at traditionally marketing and advertising, it's always been push and say, hey, here's our product. Isn't it amazing? Make a decision. Whereas now, it's all about listening, 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 and then crafting your messaging and, and crafting your responses. Do you think it's the same with data? Absolutely. The data is the core of that. Uh, it's, it's the combination of the data, what the data tells you from analysis. And then it had a huge impact when you, when you shift to that uh, behavioral-based and customer-based view of the way you design strategies and marketing. You need a different set of marketers in place. Um, you, you know, we shifted from having very traditional database marketing to segmentation and vis- uh, segmentation analysts and data visualization or data insights people um, that that really could work with then a, a marketing team, campaign managers, and um, the the field marketers to design based on the behavioral analysis, not based on simply a profile of. I need this kind of person, so pull a list for me, right? So it it really had a huge impact on the way you design, and and, and the data begins to tell that story for you, right? Because we had years' worth of data that said, okay, the way we were marketing before, these were the kind of results that you got, and this was the story the data told us. But if we apply a level of scoring and modeling and analysis to the audience that we want and what we see them doing and you know digitally and elsewhere this is the audience that's really going to actually respond to your campaign and then you start putting in more um, uh, journey based marketing if you will um, that's personalized to the action versus to your point the the constant push out you're always going to have some level of push marketing right you, you know a branding level um, getting getting information and thought leadership out there, uh, getting a voice out there. Maybe you're doing an announcement. There's always going to be some component of that, uh, but it the the 
the real crux of demand generation is now more about uh, pull-based journey marketing, behavioral analysis uh, that's driving that, which requires data and, and analysis and a different type of marketer. Yeah, and, and it, I think it, it's a different type of belief. You know, um, I think that's a huge problem where you're, especially with an older organization where, you know, you've got Frank, he's been in the organization for 48 years, and he just can't get his head around it. How do you deal with those type of scenarios? You know, I feel very fortunate that I'm surrounded by some really strong leaders in the organization. And the the leadership has to really be your guiding coalition and your and your there has to be this that belief you talked about has to be ingrained in who they are as people. And when you're whether it's this or anything else, you're you're talking about change and change management requires time and patience and communication, constant and regular communication for a long period of time. It doesn't ever really stop. And I think that that's, you know, when you come together as a leadership organization and you build out your leadership level guiding coalition, and then you build out a community of people that you know are going to drive to that next you know level of direction where you want to go, you use that infrastructure to bring everyone else along and you help them find their place and find their way or find their way out, right? Because it's not going to work for everyone. It may not be what everyone wants. Uh, but we were very fortunate that I, you know, it was wonderful to watch people embrace the changes that we were making. And, you know, I have people that, that come up to me and say, I'm an analytical marketer and this is why. And we did a lot from not just training, but adoption strategies, competency centers. At every single division meeting, we had people telling their analytical marketing stories. So you want to reward people. You want to um, embrace them when they say, you know what, this didn't work. And let me tell you that story too. So also look at their, um, you know, the things that didn't work as positives and give them a platform, right? Raise them up, give them notoriety and the ability to share information, accountability to that. So it's, it's, you change the whole environment around you and it'll become pretty clear who wants to be part of it and who isn't going to, to change and adopt. And it was, you know, I, you could ask anybody that works for me, anytime I'm in front of the organization as a whole, I will consistently tell them, here's the latest and we're going to change some more because we're always changing, you know, and that's just, you decide to work in that environment or you don't. Oh, exactly. It goes back to the, 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 fantastic book, uh, Who Moved the Cheese? And we are definitely living in a world where that cheese, it might be moving, you know, uh, where's the cheese? I was just out for 10 minutes. What's going on? I said, Sorry, man. Not only is it moved, it's a different type of cheese. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. What? Hey, for you, what was your aha moment where, you know, you're a smart lady and you're putting all this stuff on, on paper and your brain kind of does something and you, you have this like, oh, I've always known this, but oh my gosh, now I really get it. What was that for you? Or was it multiple things? Oh, yeah, I was going to say, that's a hard one. <laughs> uh, multiple things for sure. When I think about the transformation process, the the big pieces that start to play out were were related to, I, you know, really, I, what we talked about in the beginning. I mean, the, the people don't pay enough attention to the data part of it. 
and and just realizing how much you have to change that mindset. People use data as an excuse more than they use it as a way forward. You know, um, there oh, there's too much data. It's too complex. It's not correct. It's this. It's that. You know what? Then let's fix it because you're not going to go on without it, right? Um, and I, I think that was a big piece of it. And and I think um, the other part from a from a pure leadership and directional standpoint is is knowing um, how to motivate people and inspire people uh, to to realize you're in an industry that's changing and that's an exciting thing and this is a very positive aspect of where you should go with your career and and watching people you know really respond to that and start to embrace that as part of their own direction it just that was inspiring for me um, and knew that I knew at that point that I was in in the right job. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting because look at the marketing industry of the last 15, 20 years. It has done several 360s. I, I, you know, it started out with, oh, what's this thing? It's called a website. We don't need one of those. And then <laughs> all those companies don't exist anymore. Or it's it's almost like when you talk to people, you say these days, it's like, oh, what's your social media channels? Not was your business card? Or can we just change data? Or here's my little computer that I have. I carry around my smartphone. Um, let's let's start using this tool. Now that's fantastic, but why aren't people using the analytical? Or is there such a thing as an analytical piece of software so you can determine in a networking meeting or within your contacts in your phone who you should be talking to more. I mean, it should be almost like a cultural shift within a within a country because let's face it, if you're in an organization that doesn't keep up with the times, it's a declining company or industry. And if you're in, in a country that's not keeping up with the times, you're in a declining country because it can't compete on a global sense and everything is global now. So how critical is it for an individual to basically live like an analyst, like on a 24-7 type of basis? That's a great question. I, for me, the answer is going to be it's absolutely critical just because I think that's how I live. Um, and it feels, it feels like there's a generational component that we're all watching come to life to your point about devices and technology that, you know, always on, always connected. I mean, I have, um, my children are 18. They're not children anymore, right? My young adults are 18 and 24. <laughs> Their perspective is, you know, internet should be like air. You know, it should be just expected anywhere all the time, you know, a, a natural resource that we have all the time. They don't have the same hesitations on, on privacy or, you know, connectivity, or it's just such a different mentality that I think as a, as a society, people don't realize it, but I guess those of us that are in the technology industry know that what they have at their fingertips and the way they make decisions and the way they communicate and the way they interact is so dependent on, you know, not just the, the hardware and the, and the, the fiber optics or whatever else, it's actual data and analysis that's helping them make those decisions. And and you're right, I, I think there is an opportunity for, I don't know if there's software out there that, you know, makes the whole networking and connection thing better. I know that from an analytical perspective, personalization efforts are only going to increase. It's just going to go to that next level of hyper-personalization. 
which becomes a balance of what is the consumer or buyer willing to give you versus what can I obtain through their activity and their behavior um, and what kind of assumptions can I make as well as what kind of modeling and scoring can I do. Um, attribution modeling is huge and will continue to get more sophisticated, more, um, it'll, it'll get better, it'll get uh, more accurate. And in the way in which we do attribution modeling, um, I think the whole buying experience, the expectation, you know, with with being able to purchase things on your mobile devices, you know, everything we see happen in a consumer realm, right, with the way you interact with brands and stores and devices has a huge impact on um, you know, my audience of who I'm trying to sell to because that same person that's making the you know, business decision for software is also a consumer. So they want some of the same capability and they're certainly as informed, if not more so, to be able to to purchase, you know, make those kinds of purchase decisions differently too. That's certainly what we're, we're seeing um, happen. Uh, but I also think it makes us all more intelligent, more sophisticated, and, and, you know, adapting to, to the changing world around us. So I don't know that I answered your question, but there's just, it's, that's what's exciting, right? There's more questions to ask. Oh, yeah. It's like it's, it's the wild, wild west, really. I mean, but, but in a very controlled way. Well, actually, in some organizations, no, it's a nightmare. But, you know, <laughs> if you're lucky enough to have an organization that gets in it and isn't panicking, um, yeah, you're in a pretty sweet spot. Yeah, it doesn't feel like anything, you know, all the things that we try, the ability now to try things and then know very quickly if it's working and then change it, 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 it it's a totally different environment than, you know, from a marketing perspective than it was, you know, I place an ad and then maybe, uh, you know, six months later, I, I know if it worked. This is This is constant. So we're in the best place we could possibly be if you're going to be in the wild, wild west because you can you can change it daily well exactly and that's that's a huge huge shift i remember going into an organization um who specialize in in marketing for the auto industry and you know that's that's a pretty big uh industry there's a lot of money going down and what they were running into is that the actual manufacturers didn't get it in the sense that they were saying, oh, your reward system is based on X. And they're going to say, well, that's great, but basically you're rewarding people to do the wrong thing, guys. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you're nuts. And then they would go into the car dealerships, and the car dealerships are very like, well, you know, my dad did it for 54 years, and look at where we're doing great. We got like 14 this and that. And say, yeah, but, you know, you've got declining sales. And how long have those declining sales been going? Only five years, and it's a slump in the industry. No, dude, it's because you're not doing it right. How do you get people on board? Do you just have to basically say, look, at either do it this way or you're not going to be around. you got to use the, the, the terror tactic. How, how do you get – because it's, it's really, really important that you got to be able to go into a meeting and say, hey, guys, I know I'm young. I know I'm, I'm, I'm new in this industry or I know you've never really respected the data industry, but you've got to understand – if you don't start listening to me, I'm going to have to leave because you're not going to be in business in two years. Uh, I mean, again, industries vary quite a bit. Well, yeah, but I mean, the, like the banking industry has been into it for a long, long, long time. But I'm just saying for people, there are a lot of industries out there 
that don't get it and aren't understanding that they have to start evolving. I mean, even just to start looking at their data a little bit more, they're not even doing that. Yeah, I, I do think though, if 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 you've got the energy and the passion and, the, and about your company, about your industry, and you have access to the data, you know, you pick a project, pick a problem to solve, pick pick a story to tell, and and you know, when I think back six seven years ago, we were getting you know, as a marketing leader, I was getting the attention of of the executive teams and the CEO by telling stories with data and analytics. Now we're an analytics company, so my stories. You know, we're they're they're obviously more attuned to it, but it's the same concept, right? Uh, you know, pick the problem, pick this. You know, the, the the best one of the best stories ever told that that caused significant changes just in organizational design was to be able to say, you know what, we've got so many separate organizations talking to our current customer base that we can show you where in a, in a given month, one or you know one person might be getting thirty or forty emails. That's ridiculous. Right here's the data, and this is what's going to happen. And here you keep this going. Those are the kinds of stories you start telling with data, with that people get people's attention to say, okay, that's going to mean we need to make this change and this change. And you start you you start to pile onto those stories to where you finally get to, you know, a broader based strategy and direction. And I think that's true. You know, back to your manufacturing example, if if you can walk into that dealership and show the story with data and analysis either how somebody else is doing it or what their same data could look like if they did it this way, then you get people's attention. And, and, you know, and I think you do people, you do have to show that the market and other pieces are going that way. But, but that, you know, if there's going to be some that pay attention to some that don't, right? I mean, that's, that's just going to be the way that is, but you know, 101 for, for selling anybody is, is really, you know, using the data analysis to tell the story, have an impact, it shows the value. It'll either it'll create change, and if you don't start to see some of that change, you're right. It might be time to to move on because there's tons of industries and tons of companies that that want to make a difference uh, with with data and analysis and use that kind of approach when they when you start talking about the customers and the experience they want to have with you as a brand. Mm, absolutely. Well, you know, it goes back to the old adage: the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. Um, I want to talk to you about, you know, data and the storage of data because it's it's a big issue right now. Um, privacy of data. And and I'm not saying, you know, like, oh, we know what Joe's doing, but I'm talking about an organization's data, their 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 intellectual asset, they've gathered the data, they own that data. Should they be storing it? Um in like more like servers in the head office, or should they be serving it, serving, uh, storing it in the cloud? I mean, I, I talk to people and I say, well, you know, you really should consider the cloud. And they say, oh no, it's too dangerous. And what happens if this happens? And it, it's it's a real problem where people that they they don't want to get it, or they use it as an excuse not to get into data. Well, we don't want to rely too heavily on data because what happens if the data is not around tomorrow? Type of thing. So, how do you how do you deal with those type of um, conversations? Well, I, I'm certainly a proponent of data strategies that bring together governance components that protect the data. At the end of the day, um, the guidelines for data protection and privacy will dictate a lot of what we can do as organizations. 
And so the infrastructures that have a level of security and protection are going to be scrutinized and they're going to continue to change. But the, you know, the, the, in that, in that changes globally, right? The EU data protection is, is different than, than in the, in the U S et cetera. So you first have to make sure that you know where you're operating from and, and who you're, you know, how, what the data privacy laws are associated with that. Um, so, so that that's in, in line. And then in terms of, you know, your own servers versus third party versus cloud, uh, you know, I think depending on where you're at from a financial and resource perspective, you have to pick a strategy that works best for, for that environment. I, I don't, I'm more com- I'm very confident in cloud strategies and, and the protection because they're going to be held to the same standards, um, you know, essentially than the, as you would as with a, with a private server. I do believe in certain industries, healthcare industries, financial industries, there's going to be more restrictions on their ability to what they can do with cloud services. You know, again, that's back to know your industry, know your data protection and privacy laws um, that, that can be there. I don't, um, I don't, I'm not as up on all the differences as I could be, uh, but I do think it's, if, you know, cyber, security threats like cyber security threats and, and fraud type activities with people's data, it, it's here, it's here to stay and, and we're going to have to be conscious of it. Uh, so, so having a very clear data strategy and direction and, and doing your homework on the, on the laws and the privacy components becomes very critical. If you're a larger organization, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the IT component of that, it changes, in my opinion, changes the value and importance of IT considerably. Um, I, I think, you know, 10 years ago, marketing departments were famous for going off on their own, building their little separate data marts and, and doing their things separately from IT. I, I don't see how that can happen now. Um, there's too much integration that needs to occur. Uh, I think there are some industries that sort of have separate IT departments, which that might be the way to do it. But you need a level of expertise and knowledge to do it. So I don't, I don't think you can be as renegade as, as maybe 10 years ago. Um, but I also think that there's a, a huge amount of cloud offerings in the marketing space. Um, so I think what's, what's interesting for me in the marketing area is when you look at the, the – technologies available from marketing, there's a, a piece, there's so many pieces that you could do as third party, um, you know, technologies or tools that you might need uh, for various parts of it. Um, and then you still want all the data that's collected to be centralized in something that's more, you know, uh, safe and protected from a, a data privacy law perspective. So we always, I know when we make decisions about utilizing um, third-party tools, you know, the big question is, okay, how, do, how can we integrate that data back in? Um, what's the APIs that are needed, et cetera? Uh, so all that becomes important. Well, you, you know, you mentioned something very interesting back there. Uh, the, mer- um, the merging of IT and marketing where traditionally the kind of marketing is kind of being out there or the Marcom department is being kind of out there and not part of the, the core corporate, I'm going to say structure, but I mean, it's kind of like a little wart. you got this completely straight accounting and lawyers and CEOs and blah, blah, blah. And then you've kind of got this wart on the side, which is the marketing communication thing that's blasting out to people and doing their magic. Today, that's being absorbed or, or it's 
more in alignment with a more strict structure in the sense that you've got to drive uh, your marketing efforts based on data. And to do that, you have to be plugged into the whole machine. Yeah, it, absolutely. That relationship there has to be, it has to exist. It has to be nurtured. It has to be valued. Um, what would you tell people that, um, you know, our listening audience that they should be doing today to make the first steps towards a more analytical marketing approach to their overall company strategy? At the company level, again, back to evaluating the, the mentality and the position of the executive teams um, to your, you know, aside, in addition to marketing, I, I know, you know, the HR departments and things like workforce analytics are important. Um Clearly, in development organizations, um, there's an analysis component and data component there. So I, I think it's really understanding the appetite. There's there's all kinds of extremes from um, whole analytical divisions being formed um, to to having it as part of you know components of divisions that that then come together in a different way. So so you know that you know what's what's the atmosphere at the top and and knowing that. Um, that culture, sort of an analytical culture test, if you will, and and seeing where um, you stand as an organization. Um, I, I think if if you start with thinking about what's what do you believe your company and your organization knows about your customer and the customer experience and the customer journey that not from your perspective but from the customer's perspective. Um, that people, you know, what what does the customer think, feel, and do as they interact with you as a brand? That will tell you a lot about your data, and it will tell you a lot about your analysis and strategy. Um, because is it where you want it to be becomes what you're looking for. Um, and and when you have that direction and vision, you know, then I think you have to start going across the organization to build that guiding coalition. Uh, because you need change agents across the organization to to make things happen and and pick the projects and the efforts to design and implement jointly um, and and go after those projects very very deliberately um, and build what you need inside and outside to do that um, and then the the third thing would be really embracing a, a change strategy um, that celebrates wins along the way. Um, that doesn't allow projects or efforts to spin, you know, uncontrollably, um, but very, you know, decisive kind of environment uh, to to get some fast wins so that you can continue to build out that strategy. You know, there's there's not one transformation plan. There's not one um, overall decision point. It's a series of transformational components uh, that drive towards objectives that you've designed that you're trying to accomplish. And even as you reach some level of satisfaction with, okay, we said we wanted to, to do more uh, journey-based marketing and, and this is what we're expecting. Once you get there, you're going to find other, you know, spin-off projects towards what you want to change, or you're going to say, okay, we're, we're 75% there and we want to change the other 25% again. Um, so it, it's this constant mode. Now, for, for people that um, want to learn more, I mean, obviously, they, they're going to go out and get the book, but uh, do you have a blog or can they reach out to you on a, on a social media platform? What, what should they do? What should their strategy be? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the the uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, I'm certainly available on, on those two platforms. 
And uh, there's a lot of the, I'm blogging a lot on Harvard's site. So you can see blogs on that side as well as the SAS site. Uh, I don't have a separate blog from those two. So happy to have them join there. Yeah, they just have to do just a little bit of research. Not too many Adele Sweetwoods in the world. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've been chatting to Adele, the analytical marketer, how to transform your marketing organization. And just like her, the book is wonderful. Hey, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Bob. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for listening. Please share this interview if you think your network of business friends would benefit from it. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite Android app. Also, don't forget to check out www.businessbooktalk.com for more business book interviews.